Welcome to the Weave Podcast. I'm Sarah Resnick, owner of the weaving yarn shop Gist Yarn and Fiber, and host of this brand new podcast, Weave. After many months of dreaming and planning, I'm so thrilled to be launching this podcast into the world and into your ears. I decided to start this podcast for the same reason I started my yarn shop to be part of building a community of weavers and to share the stories of the artists, mill owners, dyers, and loom makers who make this community so special. I learned to weave in 2008 when I was a forestry student living in downtown Toronto, and I spent all the extra money I could scrape up to take a weaving class on the outskirts of the city. An amazing group of women there taught me to warp a loom, dye yarn, and, of course, to pay attention to my selvages. They sent me home with stacks of old hand-woven magazines to read through, and I thought there was simply nothing in the world I'd rather be doing than sitting at my loom for hours and hours. Several months later, I was lugging a counterbalance loom I found on Craigslist up the steep steps to my one-bedroom apartment. I imagine a lot of you can resonate with that quick journey. For some of us, the act of weaving is solitary. We weave alone in our living rooms or kitchens, maybe with some music or a podcast playing, or maybe in silence. For some of us, we weave in community, in guilds, in the fiber room at art schools, or with virtual communities through Facebook and Instagram. And some of us weave as families, carrying on traditions that span many generations. On this podcast, I hope to tell pieces of all of those stories. The first season is going to take us behind the scenes with some weavers you probably already admire and some you've maybe never heard of, all with fascinating stories to share. I'll be releasing a new episode every Monday morning, and to kick things off, I have three episodes ready and waiting for you in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your audio. So go ahead and hit subscribe, and when you're done listening, reach out on social media or by email and let me know what you think. I'm eager to hear your feedback what you want more of, recommendations for who I should interview, or just reach out and say hi. And for now, I'm so excited to kick things off with my first guest, Megan Schimmick. Megan Bogdan Schimmick is a weaver, fiber artist, and tarot reader living and working in Oakland, California. She creates stunning large-scale wall hangings and sculptural objects from wool roving, and her work has been exhibited throughout the U.S. and internationally. Megan is also a teacher, which is where I met her. I was lucky to get to learn from Megan at the Weaving Kind Makery Retreat last October in Colorado. As someone who primarily weaves with thin yarn on a floor loom, it was refreshing to learn at a completely different scale using her techniques of off-loom weaving with roving. I was also inspired by the stories Megan shared about how she found her way to weaving and how she's making her way in the world as an artist. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you today, Megan. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, I'd love to start off by asking you how you found your way to weaving and why did it stick? Well, um, well, I started weaving about five years ago. And I think um, I'd always been interested in fiber arts, like I had knit and crocheted and done some sewing, um, none of which I was fantastic at. Like I could, I could knit pretty well, but definitely had to follow a pattern. It wasn't like a creative outlet. It was more of just like you know, a hobby or craft kind of thing that I really loved. Um, 
but five years ago, I was visiting my family um, in Michigan, and my son was pretty young at the time, and my now ex-husband had to be on a trip for a month for work, and so my son and I went to go stay with my my parents during that time, and um, I took this weaving class at my at a local yarn store in their in their town and um, it was to weave a scarf and I loved it I didn't want to stop and I made two scarves and it was just on a little rigid heddle loom um, and then I decided I wanted to try making wall hangings and I wanted to try all these different things with it um, but it just stuck it was like I wanted to wake up early and do it I wanted to stay up late and do it I wanted to um, you know, just it was everything that I could think about all of the time. And I wanted to go buy more yarn all of the time, of course. And, um, and, you know, I think a lot of it um, was just trying to experiment different shapes and, and fibers. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just something that I, I couldn't stop doing, really. Um, and at the time, my son was still pretty young, and he wasn't in preschool yet. And I was a stay at home mom. Um, and so it was also, I think, a really nice thing after I'd quit my job when, when I had my son. And so, um, it felt really good to have something else in my life besides just child rearing. Um, and so I just, I absolutely loved it. And then, um, after the first year, really, I just experimented and I took as many weaving classes as I could. Um, I, uh, soon after I'd started weaving, uh, we moved to Arizona for, we knew we had to be there for nine months. And so I was able to take Navajo weaving classes and floor loom weaving classes, as well as a spinning class, which I am not good at at all. <laughs> but, um, but so I just was able to spend some extra time and really start learning different techniques. Um, and yeah, so I just kept going and never wanted to stop. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat meowing in the background. That's okay. We love cats. <laughs> that's that's really great. And so it sounds like you experimented with a lot of different types of materials and types of weaving. And you the style of weaving that you knew now is really distinctive. It's it's weaving with roving and on a really large scale. How did you end up finding your way to that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think at first, um, you know, I was when we were living in Arizona, I was like picking up palm fronds off of the road and, um, you know, just kind of experimenting with different materials I'd find there. And then when we came back to California, um, you know, going out and finding sea kelp, you know, by the ocean and, mm -hmm. you know, just like different kind of weird. I still think I have this bag of found weird stuff that I had um, that I always thought that I would use at some point and it's still sitting on a shelf somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I had started experimenting a little bit with roving. Um, I guess this was probably four years ago. I had picked some up at the yarn store and played a little bit with it, but it was very expensive, so I didn't do it a ton. And I was still at the time really trying to learn um, more and more techniques, like how do you make circles and um, you know stuff like that that I really just wanted to learn different things um, and. Then um, just over three years ago, um, my father passed away and shortly after my husband and I split up. And so I was going through this, this place in my life where I was, it was an enormous amount of loss in a very short period of time. And um, I turned to roving again. And part of it was um, I had to get ready for West Coast Craft. It was the very first time I was doing West Coast Craft. And I was very nervous. Um, and for those of you who don't know, West Coast Craft is this um, kind of high-end art and design fair here in San Francisco. Um, and 
I was really, it was the first time I was ever doing a craft fair. Um, I felt really nervous because it was all of these people who I really admired who were in the show before me. And so um, to have a place in it felt really, really exciting. Um, but all of a sudden I had to create all of this work to have available and roving, it weaves very quickly because of its bulk. Um, but I also came to realize that it felt really good to use it because in using just roving, I was able to make these huge pieces. I could stand up, I could move my entire body. Um, as I use the roving, unlike using regular yarn, where you know, you wrap it around a shuttle, um, this I was using my entire, I, I, pull every single millimeter of roving through my hands as I use it. So it's like I get to touch every part of this fiber that I'm using. Um, and it just felt so healing. And to be able to move my body at a time when it just felt like really damaged kind of through everything I was going through, um, it just was, it just felt amazing to start to use it in this way. Um, and to not, and to go from where I had been really at the time focusing a lot more on tapestry weaving to go into this really organic based kind of um, movement kind of weaving where there wasn't a pattern, there wasn't any rules, there wasn't, um, I wasn't sitting, I wasn't beating anything down, I was just fully using my body to create something that was just like this expression of what was going on in me. It just, it's what got me through all of that time in my life. Um, so that's really how I got started with roving. Hmm. That's a, it's a really powerful story. And I think looking at your work, I can really see how your, your whole body and your whole like heart and spirit are in it in the way that you, you move your body. Um, and I think also it's, it's neat to hear that it feels really good on your body. I think a lot of weavers spend a lot of time hunched over looms Yeah, <laughs> and their backs hurt and their arms hurt and their fingers hurt. And I'm sure it's like very, also physically taxing to work at a large scale, but it's, it's, it's neat that your method of work lets you stretch out. Yeah, well, I always kind of think about, you know, when I was doing tapestry weaving, yeah, it was kind of like your, your shoulders and your back are kind of in this like C shape. And, um, you know, kind of this really, yeah, it hurts a lot, and you get really tight. Um, and working with the roving, I feel like it's this heart opening kind mm -hmm. of motion, you know, where you get to open your shoulders kind of more. So it, I mean, definitely, it was it's a helpful thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you write in your bio that you're inspired by loss, movement, healing, and the acknowledgement of uncomfortable feelings. And I think that's such a powerful way of talking about what inspires your work. And you touched a little bit on the loss that moved you into this type of weaving and expression. But I'd really love to talk about each of these inspirations and, and how they find your way into your work. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the loss, you know, the big thing, of course, was losing my father, which happened really suddenly. I mean, my father was only 63 years old and, oh, so and, sorry. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Um, and he was in, you know, relatively good shape, you know, I mean, he went to the gym and he ate pretty well and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and I had spent the summer before he died, I had been at my parents' house for like three weeks and, um, and, you know, everything seemed normal and, you know, he took maybe a little extra naps or something, but it wasn't anything, anything crazy. And, um, and he very suddenly got ill and they couldn't figure out at first what was going on with him. And then he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And at the time they told us we'd have, you know, a year probably with him and within four weeks he was dead. Um, and so it was, 
very sudden and unexpected for all of us. Um, and I was very, very, I'm very close with my family, but my father and I also had a really special bond. Um, and so then to go through that and then very shortly after um, have my marriage just kind of fall apart, um, it was a really, really, really difficult time. And, and then to go from that and then also having to become a single mom. And I was, you know, I had been supported by my husband. Um, and so to go from from having this kind of life that I thought was planned out to all of a sudden it was like, oh, crap, I... I'm a single mom. I live in the Bay Area, which is very expensive. Um, and I'm an artist. So what am I going to do? This is crazy. Um, and it, it felt like just every day, like treading water was kind of a difficult um, thing to do. And so, you know, just having to go through that. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think my story is super unique. I know everybody goes through this at some point in their life that everybody goes through significant loss or significant turmoil or, and, and my story isn't even that hard compared to what so many people go through. Um, you know, it's just what I was going through at the time that was so moving for me to create this work. Um, and, and through this time too, it was, it was a deep, it was, and I guess kind of the uncomfortable feelings was having to really take a, a good look at myself and my life and what I, I had lived this really privileged life. And then to have to turn that around and say, okay, what do I really want now? Um, and acknowledge the things that I had contributed, you know, to the failing of my marriage. And, you know, cause it's easy to blame the other person when things aren't going well. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have to really look at yourself too and start to say, what am I doing and what, you know, what can I move forward to do? And I think a lot in the last three years since that time, um, I've had to do that a lot um, in my own life and try to come to terms with, you know, parts of myself that aren't always, that I don't always love um, and trying to open myself up to new experiences and um, how I'm going to forge ahead. So that that's part of that. Um, and, and for the movement part of, of this, I think um, being really inspired by, one, like I talked about the movement in my own work and getting up and moving. But I think also I've, I've really come to realize that when I get stuck, um, I can get really in my head or like creatively in my head and get really, really, really stuck on things and, and not be able to move forward. And always, always, always just going for a walk and getting out of my house is the number one thing. And I'll be honest, I am not one that exercises. I know people love to run and climb and go to the gym and whatever. And I've never been that person and I doubt I ever will be, but um, I love to go for walks and could walk like six miles a day without a problem. So that is a, a really, um, sometimes it's hard when you know that you should be working to just say, okay, no, I have to take a break and go do this, but it's always the best thing that I can do. And so that is part of that movement is like just knowing when to stop and go do something else because sitting here staring at something is never going <laughs> to actually make me inspired. Um, so I think that's all of that. Did I get everything? Yeah, I think so. And that was a really powerful explanation of, of what underpins your work. What was the the first show that where you were building a body of work where you really felt like you were able to pull all of these different inspirations in and, and use this new craft that, and art that you were learning to convey, um, to convey yourself? So that was definitely, and maybe it's still like my most powerful show that um, that I had was this was um, in August of 2015. I had a, um, a show 
in Seattle called Rove. Um, my friend Jessica Carter was she was the curator for it, and she worked through she worked with me to kind of um, pull out everything that we should do together. And um, I collaborated with this woman, um, Babette Pendleton, um, and she was able to. Um, uh, she she's a performance artist and she um, so anyway I guess I should talk about the work I created we created this work called Rove and it was all about these things about um, you know kind of exploring your world going through this time and each piece in it represented a different part of what I was going through like there was a, a piece that was called separation that was about this, you know, it was like two pieces that were connected. That was about kind of this old life that I had had, this new life that I was creating and like the the threads that held it together. Um, there was a piece called Abundance, which was just about like coming to recognize how much I had in the world. Um, it's so easy that we can often, especially when you're going through a time of loss where you can really focus on you know, all of the bad stuff kind of, you know, or thinking that you have nothing or you're losing everything or whatever. Um, but it was for me a time that I realized how incredibly important my family was. I had such amazing friends that took wonderful care of me through that time, um, having my child who was amazing. Um, and so it, it came for me as this time of recognizing how much abundance that I had in my life. And, and then also just having so many people who believed in me and supported me that were total strangers. Um, <clears throat> that made me really come to realize how much I had in my life. Um, there was a piece called suspension, which was just kind of about your life being a little suspended and not really knowing exactly where it was going to go. Um, there was a part one that was called wave, which was about kind of these like wave of emotions um, another piece was called bound, which was about, um, which that one I've, I feel like I've explored much further on. I've, I've come to explore that in other parts of work because it's been a really important piece for me. Um, which is about thinking about the things that we bind ourselves to in life. Um, you know, and what you actually, what are your actual obligations in life to, to be bound to? Um, you know, it's like, and that one I've gone on to think about like, you know, now I have this house that I live in and I have all of these things in this house that I've bound myself to. And so I have to make my rent every month because I need a place to keep all of this stuff. But at the end of it, what do I actually, the only things that we're truly bound to is the earth. Like that's the only thing that we can't ever discard. Um, and so it kind of makes me think about things in this other sense of if you had to give everything up, what what are the only if you could only keep a few things what would they be and for me it's like the one thing that I would only want to keep is my my child you know it's like everything else you can you can be able to let go you know all of your possessions and you know things come into your lives and in, in in a different in different waves but there's only certain things that we really need to be bound to so that show was really important to me and really special um creating the body of work for it was amazing I remember that summer it was so hot and working with roving um, was nuts. I remember, you know, just working in like my underwear and just sweating, you know, just sweat, like pouring <laughs> off of me, standing on ladders and chairs and, you know, creating this work hanging from the ceiling. And, um, it felt my entire, li I lived in this tiny cottage at the time and the entire living room was just 
completely covered in roving. Um, and I, I loved every second of it. Um, and actually, when I got home from that for a couple of weeks, I was so sad that it was over. It was just like this almost like depressing time because I didn't have this thing to look forward to anymore. Um, but, you know, it was I still am so grateful that I had that experience because it was it was amazing. Wow. Yeah, it really sounds like it. What is what does your son think of roving all over the living room? It must be a lot of fun for him. <laughs> um, there's some things that he loves. Um, I have currently I have these like big ball um, things hanging, kind of dividing our living space because we live in a live work loft, so there's no walls. Um, so I have these these balls, and he really loves those. He sometimes he'll kind of try to hang from them, which he's getting a little heavy to do now, um, or he'll kind of bat at them, and he likes that. Um, I also one of the pieces I created for Rove was also this this life size cocoon, um, and a while back he filled it full of pom-poms and then he hung up Christmas lights inside of it. So he likes to go in there and like watch movies or he'll take mm-hmm. a book in there when he has friends over there, they'll hide in there and stuff like that. So, um, you know, some of that stuff he loves, but other times, you know, like this is just his life. So I think in some ways he doesn't realize that it's different than what other, <laughs> you know, it's like he goes to their houses and he's like, Oh, they've got, you know, they've got this cool jungle gym in their backyard and, you know, and they've got their room that has walls. <laughs> Um, and you know, and he has all of that stuff at his dad's house. So I think this is, I think when he gets older, he'll be like, oh, that was kind of (laughs) weird. But for him, it's just normal. Like this is how his life has always been. So I love it. I love it. So shifting gears a little, you must use a ton of roving and I'm curious how you source the wool and the other materials that you work with. Yeah. So, um, I, I have two main places I get stuff from. Um, I work with a company in Oregon called Ashland Bay, um, and I get almost all of my white roving from them. It's it's grown in the U.S., um, and you know I just I, they are wonderful to work with. It's um, a pretty small operation, and you know they're very like responsive, and I can get stuff from them very very quickly, which is great. Um, and the other place I've started working with is a company in the U.K. Um, called World of Wool. And so they're also great for people who are listening and might want to get roving. Um, uh, Ashland Bay doesn't sell directly to um, consumers. Like they mostly just sell the retailers. So um, so I sell roving as well. But World of Wool, you can order on their website. So anybody can go and, and order from them. Um, and they have an enormous amount of colors and different kinds of fibers. And, um, you know, so they're wonderful to work with as well. And I've also worked with... Um, here in the U.S., Laughing Lamb Fibers, which is great. Um, and they do a lot of natural colors um, and and uh, domestic uh, sheep. And then there's also Paradise Fibers, and they're awesome because they always have sales. <laughs> they always have different deals going on. So they can be a really great um, company to work with here as well for people who might want to, to get some, their hands on some roving. Great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I will, I'll list those in the show notes that I make for this and also, of course, list your website so people can find your work there and, and roving that you mentioned there as well. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I met you at the Weaving Kind Makery last fall, I was moved by how openly you spoke about the challenges of supporting yourself and your child as a full-time artist. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you make that work and um, if there are tensions between creating work that can sell and creating work that most fully expresses your own vision. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, through the lens of like Instagram, <laughs> um, often people you know, people will come up to me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're busy. Or, you know, you must be doing so well. And it's like, well, I mean, I think it's easy to, to seem busy. Like, you know, we're always, um, I think everybody's busy these days or like we're all, our time is all occupied with things. Like, I think there's very few people that never have anything happening in their lives that they're, you know, that they're doing, whether it's going out to dinner or spending time with their children or, you know, going to the movies, whatever it is, we occupy our time. Um, I mean, I still spend a lot of time like, you know, watching movies at home in bed, just like everybody else. (laughs) So, um, um, but you know, and so I think I, I always try to say that, like, you know, I'm still a mom. So a lot of my time to, you know, last night, I think I was asleep by nine, nine fifteen. <laughs> um, you know, so but I have this balancing act. So I split custody with my son's dad and we have it about 50 50. Um, so when he's with his dad, it gives me a lot of time to be kind of more busy. Um, but also it's when I will stay up all night long and create work. Um, so like the other night, I think on Tuesday night, I stayed up until three or four in the morning. So then like last night I went to bed at nine fifteen. I don't suggest this as like a great way to like, you know, have consistent sleep, but, um, uh, you know, you make it work when you can. Um, so there's definitely that where I have to kind of work when I can a little bit more or like schedule things differently than how people who have normal nine to fives, um, get to do. Um, so there's that. And it's, I mean, I think I'm almost kind of lucky in, I will say his, my son's father and I have a great relationship now. And so we're really flexible at work with each other, which has become really nice. Um, and so because of that, I'm able to, to have this art life. I think, um, I think if I didn't have, if I wasn't divorced, I don't think I would be able to create nearly as much work as I do or be able to focus on it as much as I do. Um, because I would be in a more kind of, um, traditional family setting. Um, but because I can have these times when I don't have my child, it allows me greater time to work. Um, so, but you know, it is, I, I live in the Bay area. It's very expensive here. Um, and there are definitely more often than, you know, I would like there to be, there are times when I just, I'm looking at things and I'm like, crap, okay, it's time to start looking for a job. Like, this is hard. Um, And, you know, I think it's easy to seem like life is really fancy and stuff, but, you know, it's like 90% of the time we're eating at home or, um, you know, I don't, I don't actually go out and do a ton of stuff out in the world because that all costs money. And, you know, I, I do have to kind of watch it with having a kid. Um, you know, I mean, I'm lucky now that he's out of preschool. So at least our childcare expenses are a lot less, but, um, you know, it is just like for every, I think probably most families in the world, um, you know, having a kid is expensive and just trying to live your life is expensive. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a balancing act there. And then as far too as, as creating work that I really love versus creating work that will sell, um, that can be sometimes, you know, you're making something and, and you're excited about it, but there's definitely that thing at the back of your head, like I'm making this cause I know somebody will love it versus 
I'm making this because I love it. Um, and a lot of times those things are the same, which is an awesome feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when you can sit, like have both of those, like I'm making this and I'm so into it. And I know people are going to love it because I love it. Um, and then there's, I think sometimes, especially um, I have found the hardest work for me to make is when I'm um, making like commissions for people and I allow them to have too much input um, because then I get really, really in my head about it because it's like if somebody asks me for a commission and then they just say, hey, I love this style of weaving. Here's the colors I like. Go for it. It's like, cool, I can do that. And it's great. And I'm happy. And, you know, I would say 95% of the time they're happy. Um, But when I start to like get too into trying to make stuff that I think, oh, people are um, you know, if I'm trying to make a commission and then I'm sending them updates while I'm doing it and then they're like, oh, a little more of this or a little more of that or a little less, then I get really in my head and really stuck. Um, and that's a really difficult thing because um, then I generally don't always feel great about what I'm making. And and I'm sure other people experience this as well. And there have been times too when I've, um, you know, made work that I thought people would like because it's like, oh, people are into these colors right now or something. And then a lot of times if I'm not super into something, neither is anybody else. (laughs) So I've definitely had that kind of experience too, where I think I'm making something that I think people will like and, you know, then it doesn't sell or it's not exactly what I want. Um, And there definitely is the, um, with especially a lot of kind of the more sculptural things that I've done or, um, like the weird hanging stuff that I've done that would need to hang from your ceiling. That stuff I'm super into, but most people don't have places in their homes for that. Like most people don't have the ability to, you know, hang stuff from the middle of their ceiling. Um, I do because I have like a slatted with, uh, wood ceiling, but most people don't have that. Um, so, you know, sometimes I have to kind of um, also not make as much of that as I might want to, because I know like a wall hanging is going to sell more than something that hangs from the middle of your ceiling. So, you know, it's just like kind of thinking about things like that too, of, um, you know, I could maybe at this point, maybe that's what I want to make all day, but it might not be the best use of my time if I want to also, um, you know, continue to have this as my job. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate your openness and sharing all that. (laughs) You, you also do a lot of teaching. How did you get into teaching about your roving, weaving, and what's your favorite part about that? Well, I first started teaching mostly um, when, when we were moving back from Arizona. Um, we had put my son in preschool, and I said, okay, you know, when we get back to California, it's time for me to start looking for a job. And my background, actually, I have a degree in nutrition, and I used to um, – I ran farmers markets and I taught nutrition classes to low income individuals. And so like, that's kind of what I planned on going back into. And right when we moved back to California, um, this wonderful place in San Francisco that isn't, it no longer exists, but it was called makeshift society and it was a co-working space and they also offered workshops. And so somebody from, from uh, makeshift society contacted me and said, Hey, would you be interested in teaching a weaving workshop? And I said yes, and I was terrified. And I decided I'm going to teach this class. If it's horrible and I hate it, I never have to do it again. (laughs) But I just have to get through one time. Um, And I loved it. It was great. Um, I was I was totally a wreck going into it and so scared. But it was okay. Um, 
and so I, I taught kind of the frame loom weaving classes um, for a couple of years. And then there was a lot of other people doing that. And I wasn't really doing that kind of weaving anymore. And so I thought, you know, I wanted to develop a class that felt more real to me and more kind of in line with what I was doing. And so um, I decided to develop this off loom um, weaving class. And it was amazing. From the first time I taught it, um, the work that students made was incredible and so inspiring to me. Um, and one of the things I did really differently when creating this class was when I taught the off loom uh, weaving class, or I'm sorry, the frame loom weaving class, um, I tried to fit in like a bunch of skills, you know, it was like, okay, you've got to warp your loom and here's twining and here's tabby weave and here we're going to do triangles and sumac and raya and I'm going to show you how to work with some roving. And it was nuts trying to squeeze all of that into three hours. And how can people retain all of that information and go home and continue to weave? Um, and I would often have students come back months later and they'd say, oh, God, I really loved your class and my weaving. It's still sitting on that loom and one day I'll finish it. And I thought, oh, God, that's sad. I want people to feel like they can make an entire project in a class and they can go home. And if they love it, they can continue to do this. Um, and if making one project and taking one class was all they ever wanted to do. That's it. They're done. They never, they don't have a bunch of materials at home. They don't have all this equipment that they purchased. They purchased the stuff for this one thing and they made it and they never have to look at it. You know, they never have to worry about doing it again. Um, and so I developed this class. I basically teach like three skills in the class and I just give people a lot of space to work and be creative and learn how to work with the material. And the stuff that I see come out of those classes is just incredible and it inspires me and it makes me really happy. Um, and people seem really genuinely excited to take the class and to, to leave with a great wall hanging that they can go home and just immediately put on their wall. <laughs> um, so it's, it's been a great experience for me. That's great. Do you have any upcoming classes that people could join you in? So this year, I actually only have one class officially scheduled at this point. Um, <laughs> and it's in Denver in June um, at Fancy Tiger Crafts. I don't think we've listed it on their website yet, um, but probably in the next couple of weeks it will. Um, I'm also definitely going to be teaching in May in Australia. I haven't booked any classes yet, but um, I found an insane deal on a plane ticket to Australia one night at like four in the morning and bought it on a whim. So, Love it. Uh, <laughs> um, like texted my ex-husband at four in the morning, like, so these dates, you're going to have gray because I'm going to be in Australia. <laughs> um, uh, so that, that was kind of nuts, but um, I, yeah, so I'm going to be doing that. But otherwise um, I've been actually this, I, I've been really trying to, um, contrary to what things might look like to people on the outside world, I am a mess. I have like zero organization skills. Um, I'm always insanely behind on emails. Um, so right now I'm really working on trying to get my life a little bit together and organized. Um, I am working with a company to help me with some branding. I am working with a friend who's going to help me update my website. Um, and I'm trying to just kind of get organized and I've kind of recently had quite a few commission projects um, and one that's really large. So I'm kind of trying to just focus on that for a little bit. And once I feel a little bit more caught up, um, then I'll focus on teaching again. Um, I definitely plan on going to LA again this year. 
and of course teaching here in, in Oakland or San Francisco, um, probably in the spring, um, I just kind of needed to take a little bit of a step back from it because as much as I love teaching, that like one three hour class is about 20 hours of work <laughs> um, that people, you know, people don't see the whole sure. kind of gamut of, you know, what kind of goes on leading up to a class. Um, <clears throat> so I, I just kind of decided in, and, you know, before I, I wanted to schedule a bunch of, of classes to give myself this time to kind of catch up on all of the other things that have gotten away from me over the last couple of years. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> in addition to all of this, you also are a tarot card reader. I am. Which I'm super curious about. How did you get into that, and how, and does it influence your artistic work? Um. Yeah. So I actually, when when I lost my father and was going through my divorce, um, I was really looking for a lot of answers in my life and trying to decide what to do because, like I said, right when all of that stuff happened, I wasn't exactly sure. You know, um, I at the time, I mean, I hadn't worked in in the field of nutrition for a couple of years, but I still had a lot of um, inroads to it or connections that I felt like, okay, I could go back and you know, so and so could potentially hire me or you know, whatever. I could get some, at least some um, references or whatever going back to work. And I decided that I would give myself one year to try to see if I could make weaving work full time. Um, and so now it's been three years, so I feel like at least I'm still feels like I'm on the right track. But, um, you know, at the at the time, I wasn't really sure. And I was looking for a lot of answers and really doing a lot of soul searching. And around that time, that spring, um, through Instagram, the magic of Instagram, I connected with this woman. Her name is Lindsay Mack. Um, and she on Instagram, her name is Wild Soul Healing. And we had kind of come across each other's work through some way. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but she was, she, when she saw my work, she was really excited and moved by it. And I was, and she was teaching tarot reading classes, but she lived in Brooklyn. And she contacted me or I contacted her anyway. And she said, hey, would there be any way you'd want to do a trade? And you can make me a weaving and I could teach you how to read tarot. And I could not believe my luck. I mean, I was so excited and it felt like exactly what I needed at the time. And so I went through her class at the time. I think it was 10 or 12 weeks. Is that right? Something like that. It was a lot. Um, and so we did every week we would get on the phone and we talked for an hour or two and we went through each card in the deck and she had a really great way of teaching and, um, and it, through that process, it really helped me because I was using, I've never looked at tarot as like fortune telling. I don't look to my cards and say, when am I going to meet my next boyfriend or something like that? It's, um, <laughs> um, I mean, I've tried, but it hasn't, maybe it's still like, that's not going to happen for you. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's definitely more of like a way of presenting things of what do I need in my life right now? And what are the things that are, coming into my life? What are the things I need to let go of in my life? Um, and it, it's definitely more of this soul providing, or it kind of makes you, I always look at it as I might have a question and, or I might have a situation in my life that I continually process the same way over and over and over. And then I can bring in a tarot card that will make me say, oh, I need to look at it in a really different way. Um, and so that's how tarot's always been for me. It's this tool of 
what if you looked at things in this other way? Um, and I actually, before I really knew that much about tarot and I was trying to decide about things that were happening with my, my ex-husband is I kept pulling this one card. It was the three of wands. And, and at the time I, I have, I have the wild unknown deck, which is the deck that I use the most. Um, and in the book, the three of wands, it says the future is infinite and it's yours. Only you can see through its light and shadow. And I kept pulling it and thinking about, um, you know, I won't go into what was happening with, with my ex and I, but I kept pulling it and saying to myself, if I stay in this relationship, it's going to be the same thing for the rest of my life. Like exactly what we've been going through. It's just going to be the same. If I leave this relationship, the future is infinite and it's mine and anything can happen. And, you know, it could be crazy. It could be bad, but it can also be really great. And, um, and it made me look at it in that way of instead of continually saying, how do I fix this thing that's been broken for a long time? It was, what if I don't try to fix it anymore? And um, that was a thought that hadn't really occurred to me before then. Um, and, and so that was a big part of what kind of changed my outlook on how I could live my life, um, that I could just live it in a really different way and that I didn't have to continue you know, being in this relationship that wasn't working for either of us, you know, and and like I said, he and I have a great relationship now, but the relationship at the time was just not good. Um, And so it finally opened my eyes to that, that we could have a different kind of relationship that would be much better for us and for our child than to stay in this thing that was hurting both of us. Um, And and so that was, I think that was kind of my way of of looking at tarot and using it as a tool in my life. Um, So it definitely inspires my work too, because it's just this thing that helps me to look at life differently. Wow. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's a window into a world that I don't know anything about. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think it's also like, so often people see it as this like magical mystical thing. And if that's not your, if you're a very like scientifically based person, um, it can seem like, Oh, those people are crazy or something. But, but I think it can open, just open up your eyes to a different seeing things differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Megan, it's been such a joy talking to you and learning more about your experience and how you found your way into the world as the artist that you are today. Um, Before we sign off, is there any last words you'd like to share with people? And could you also share how people can find you on social media and in other parts of the world? Sure. Thank you. Um, Well, my... My Instagram is probably the best or most up-to-date usually place to find me. And my Instagram is at Megan Schimmick. Uh, my name is spelled M-E-G-H-A-N-S-H-I-M-E-K. Um, and my website is MeganShimmick.com. My email is hello at MeganShimmick.com. Um, so that's how you can find me in the world. Um, and I think my... Um, you know, I often have people just kind of ask me about, you know, how to get started or, um, you know, how if they want to try to pursue this world kind of more full time. Um, you know, I think the real thing is, is just trying, you know, keep going, um, keep experimenting, um, try to find your voice. Uh, it's okay when you're first learning to, you know, look at other people's work for inspiration, but always be open to figuring out what your real thing is and what materials feel right and what processes feel right. Um, because I think that's really, you know, it took me a long time to get here too. It wasn't, it wasn't just one day I woke up and, and was in this place. Um, and it's still always a struggle. So, um, you know, I just always want people to know that, that they too can get there. (laughs) Um, so thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure and 
thanks for letting me talk forever. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> you too. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you had as much fun listening to this conversation as I did recording it with Megan and that it left you inspired to wander over to your loom and try something new. If you'd like to see some photos of Megan and her work, as well as links to the sources Megan mentioned in our conversation, you can find them in the show notes at www.gistyarn.com podcast hyphen one. That's spelled G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. On the next episode, I'm talking with Omar Chavez, a fourth generation weaver from Teotitlan del Val in Oaxaca, Mexico. We talk about how his father taught him to approach his loom with creativity, his family's process for using natural dyes, and how his industrial engineering studies influence his work as a weaver. And that episode is already ready and waiting for you, so go ahead and give it a listen. And until next time, happy weaving!